Yeah, well, amen and amen. Gosh, we just have such an incredibly gifted team and um, it's already been worth your price of admission. And so, but now, hey, we're halfway through the service and my name is Ben Kearns. I'm a, one of the pastors here on staff and a happy Valentine's Day. And it is, it is my joy to be with you, especially you, Barnett. We'll probably won't use that joke anymore, but Barnett, love you. And we're going to hop into today's message, um, but it is Valentine's Day. And I don't know about you, but um, I know when you look at me, you think, man, Ben, you are, you are so handsome and you are the epitome of love and of romance. And uh, people often mistake me for a Hallmark leading character. Um, but me, like many of you, I actually struggle with romance in the romance department. Um, I wish it wasn't the case, um, but it is something that's not my natural language. And uh, so for me, kind of one of the easiest ways to get over that is to offer to watch romantic comedies with my wife. And I don't know if you do that, but I love the rom-coms and I love watching them. And uh, especially we watch all the Hallmark ones over Christmas. Um, we go through different genres of them um, when, we, when we come in. We watched Valentine's Day last night, which is a great movie. And, um, but I don't know if this happens to you, but every time I watch a romantic comedy with my wife... Um, I feel this little bit of um, shame, insecurity, doubt, because everyone is so beautiful and everyone is so over the top in their expressions of love and they just are crushing it. And I always feel this weird thing. I sit sitting next to my wife like, oh, sorry, I don't do that. Oh, I don't do that anymore. In my brain, though, I, I override that and go, but those guys are silly. That, they're in the beginning of the relationship. Man, that part of our relationship was like 25 years ago. I mean, we still love each other, but that was 25 years ago. And, um, and so I have this little bit of pain inside of me, but I kind of stuff it down and stuff it down. And, um, and so I was trying to find this middle ground of being romantic, watching romantic comedies, but I don't really need the shame in my life. And so I pick, I pick the Adam Sandler genres of romantic comedies. I don't know if you like those. You know, there's like uh, Happy Gilmore and Click and these different ones. And then we finally got to 50 First Dates, which is just this incredible, incredible movie. And I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but this is the basic gist. Um, Drew Barrymore is the character Lucy, and she gets in a car accident and has a brain injury where she's lost all of her uh, short-term mem memory. So every single night she goes to bed, she wakes up in the morning and doesn't remember anything from since before the accident. And Adam Sandler um, is the leading man, you know, and uh, someone I can relate to, and he um, just every day is trying to date her, trying to get her to love her. And the whole movie is just this precious way of him trying to learn to figure out who she is, to love her. And uh, it is, uh, even me gets tears up, teared up at the end. But there's this one scene that is just, oh, it was, I was not expecting it to be a gut punch because, you know, I'm watching this movie and it's super funny, ha ha ha. And then they're all sitting around the beach and, uh, and, and, and all of Lucy's friends are asking her, like, tell us about this relationship. How does this work? And there's this one quote, which is just such a gut punch. This is the quote that one of her friends says. says so every day you help her to realize that what happened, and then you wait patiently for her to be okay with it. And then you get her to fall in love with you all over again. And at that point, this girl, you know, she punches her boyfriend in the stomach. She's like, you're a jerk. She's in a little PG-13 language. But she goes, you're a jerk. You don't even hold the door open for me. And I'm like, oh. Right? I mean, that is it. That is this love that, um, that is just incredible that we're invited into. It's a love, right, that is everyday romance, everyday trying to win somebody over, everyday trying to express 
um, your love and affection over them. And I think we struggle with love because most of us um, aren't romantics. We're not identity people, that, but we're achievement-driven people. We have this version of the world that we want to run after and we want to achieve it, right? And so what we do is we... Um, you know, so like I'm thinking, oh, I'm in high school and I want someone to go to the prom. And then I go to college and I'm gonna, after college, I'm going to find someone to be married to. And then once I get married, then we're going to get a, a great career job. And then we're going to have a baby. And then once we have a baby, then we just got to get them out of diapers. And once we get them out of diapers, we just got to get them to school. And once we get them to school, man, then we just got to get them to, you know, be self-sufficient. No more car seats. This is not going to be great. And then all of a sudden we have teenagers. And we're like, man, just get them out of the house, right? And then once we get them out of the house, we got to pay for college. And it's like, it goes on and on and on. And all of a sudden we're like waiting to retire and die or something, right? Like we just are always on to the next thing because we're these achievement-driven people. And because we're these achievement-driven people, I think we actually miss out on the actual moments where life happens, the actual moments where love happens. And, uh, and so what we're gonna take a look at is we're gonna wrap up our, this prayer in Ephesians together. But this is the, the, the idea that I'd love for you to think about. It's this idea that it is not a love that has to be achieved. Rather, it's a love that is received. I did it rhymey for Danny, right, Danny? So turn to your neighbor and say this, right, Will? As I say, it's not a love that has to be achieved. Rather, it's a love that is received. So the idea is this, that our walk with God is not something that we have to run after and earn and work and work and work. We don't have to work for it. Rather, it's a gift from God that we simply have to receive. And as we've been doing this prayer, that's been our prayer for our entire church these last few weeks. Um, let's read this prayer. Let's wrap up this prayer and think about what God actually has for us as a gift for us and for our heart. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter three, verse 16, and let this prayer be our prayer together. It says that, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Isn't that an incredible prayer? To know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. And so here's a, here's a question. What in the world does it mean to know love? I mean, love is such an experiential thing. We feel it, you know, we give it, we receive it, but what does it mean to actually know it? And I immediately think of knowing in our brains. I mean, we are brain people. We are, in, we are people of faith who use our brains. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind, right? We're people who are to rightly handle the word of truth. Our understanding in our mind, our theology, how we understand God in our mind, those things all super matter. But this passage of scripture is a different slice of this understanding of knowing God, to know God. It's an experiential love. It's a love that we actually, that you taste, that you touch, that you hear, that you feel. It's an experience. Uh, when you read throughout the Old Testament, right, many times they'll talk about people being in love or having babies or, right, and it says, you know, Abraham knew Sarah. Well, he didn't just know her, he knew her. Do you know what I mean? That's what we're talking about here. It's an experiential love. And what's so interesting in this era of COVID, we don't get to have experiences. In fact, and it's hard because there's so many opportunities to learn and to know things, 
that we think that we actually are experiencing these things, right? You go on YouTube and you watch Shark Week and you see all the incredible things that there is. You want to understand about skydiving. And so you can watch all these great YouTubes about skydiving. We, we want to know things. And so we have all these opportunities to learn about them. But at the end of the day, what God is saying is, no, it's not that kind of knowledge. It's the knowledge where you experience it. So you can watch Shark Week all day, every day. You can watch on the animal planet and see how the ocean is so deep and and beautiful and magical and all of the things. You can watch surfing videos and watch people, how they just shred and take advantage of how great the, the, the ocean is. But it's actually a totally different thing to go and experience it, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I love the picture of the ocean because the ocean is this giant, incredible um, body of water. And it is so simple to understand that a toddler can actually play in the shore. When we went, uh, when Noah was just a year old, we were in, um, on Cape, in the Cape over in Massachusetts and the, and the, and the Atlantic Ocean, right? The, 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 the water just goes out forever and ever and it is so shallow. And here's our little one and a half year old kid just playing in the water. And we are not worried about his safety in the slightest. He can know the ocean, like he can know, experience the ocean. And yet the ocean is so vast that the greatest PhDs in marine biology will never come to fully understand all of the depth and the breadth and the complexity of the ocean. We're invited to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I love there's this passage in First Corinthians, I mean, sorry, in Philippians uh, chapter three, um, verse eight says this, and what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Let me read that one more time. What is more is I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all all things. I love that passage because it's, I've given up all things. I consider it garbage. I consider it rubbish for knowing Christ, not just being an academic, not just being a theologian, not someone who can just understand all the rich philosophy and the implications of what it means to know God, but to know God in our inner being. I love our denomination because the evangelical covenant church, way we're rooted in this stream of Christianity of piety. And, it's, and we're not people who've given up our brains. We're not people who've given up theology, but we've said at the end of the day, all of our great theology, all of our great praxis, at the end of the day, we are still people who have this heartfelt devotion to Christ. And that is Paul's prayer, that you would know in your very guts, this love that surpasses knowledge. You, are, you can know it like a baby knows the ocean, but you will never know it all the way through like the greatest PhDs in marine biology will never know it. So we are invited to know this love. But here's the question that I wrestle with is how in the world do you achieve this love? Because for me, I'm always achieving something. That's the kind of love I'm supposed to get. Well, then what am I supposed to do to run after it? What are the things I must do day in, day out to do it? Because we have this achievement understanding of love. But that's actually the wrong framework. It's not the framework of how do you achieve this love? The right framework is how do you actually receive this love? How do you actually become in a posture to receive this love that God has for us? And this is where it's hard because the the picture and illustration of love as romance really leaves us wanting. It's a great picture of God's love, but it's not the full picture. 
And because we live in a broken world, because we give our hearts to broken people, romance ends up actually being a picture for some people that is wounding and, and our hearts are callous because we can't understand that kind of love. We can't imagine being that vulnerable again, romantically or anyway, because of this broken, broken world that we live in. And so how do we posture ourselves to make space for God to begin to chip away of our calloused hearts? to chip away from all the ways that this broken world has marred our soft, inner, squishy heart. And the, the, the beginning step is to realize it's not something that you work towards. There's no amount of work that you're going to be able to do that's actually going to uncallous your heart. It's actually a process that the Holy Spirit invites us into. It's an identity that begins to mold us and shape us and form us. This whole prayer begins with, it is for this reason I kneel before the Father, Right? The, the very framework of the Christian faith is that we are in relationship to God, that God is our heavenly father. And I'm sensitive to the fact that because of this broken world, some people have had such a marred relationship with their family of origin that even that picture is so jarring and they cannot make the step of beginning to let God have space. And so there's this tension where we understand this broken and flawed world that has crushed us to our very being and this invitation to redemption. And so I'm sorry that some of these illustrations make sense to some people and are wounding for other people. And we as people need to walk gingerly, walk step-by-step step towards Christ, humbly asking God to make a way for us to help us to understand this gift that God has given to us. Because at the end of the day, the, the overwhelming picture is the redeemed version of the parent and the child. The way that we, are, our identity is in Christ. And because our identity is in Christ, we no longer can earn God's favor. That work has already been done. It's a gift that Jesus has given to us on the cross and we are now his. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, right? That, that, we, that we want strength and power so that Christ can live in our hearts. When Christ comes and lives in our hearts, our identity is now in Christ. The love and affection of God is funneled through Christ. We are his precious daughters. We are his precious sons. And it's, we are so broken. And, and even back when this was written, I mean, God must have just known how broken the world is because this entire prayer is, gosh, that you would just have strength and power to know the height and the depth and the width and the, and the breadth of God's love and affection for you and for me. And it is not an affection and love that can be achieved, but it is an affection and it is a love that is received. In Colossians chapter one, verse 19, uh, Paul says this, that for God was pleased to have all of the fullness of Christ. I mean, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. So the beginning of Colossians is this whole passage that says, Jesus Christ is, the, is, the, is, is God's precious son and in him, all of his fullness, all of the very being of God is found in Jesus Christ. And then this passage in Ephesians is saying, Jesus Christ who has all of the fullness of God in him now resides in us. And we are now God's precious daughters, precious sons. And so now we have been, right? We, we have, we want, sorry, excuse me. We want to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And then we are now invited to be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Well, the fullness of God is residing, resides in Christ and now Christ through faith resides in our heart. Now we are in this relationship with God, this movement towards him, where we now get to be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. 
all of God's love and affection gets to, be, gets to reside in us. And if you're anything like me, right, our hearts are hard, they're calloused, and it's so easy to just think that's so stupid or I will never get there or we're like the Grinch and our hearts just a few sizes too small. But the, 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 the prayer for our church is that you'd be people that would move towards Christ, that you would be people that would continually take steps so that Christ can have his way more and more in your heart. I mean, one of my favorite gifts from God is that God has allowed me to be partners and friends with Jeff. There's no one I know that's more full-hearted than him. Now he's other issues and other things that are hidden that we don't see, but his heart, man, it is full and it is huge. He is a romantic. And what's fun about that is I think, oh, there is a way. That's what it looks like. And so I can take these baby steps because if I didn't have Jeff and I was just a pastor all by myself, I'd probably be satisfied with the small version of my heart. And we need people in our lives, whether it's at church, whether it's at your, um, in your small group or friends from college, wherever your people are, we need people in our life to help picture, help mold, help shape what it means to be people who know and love God. And my prayer for you, our prayer for you, is that you would recognize that this love of Christ is not something that you can achieve, but simply something that you are invited to receive. And so here's something I'd love for you to think about to try. Now, it's been COVID, so we don't really get vacation right now. But remember back when we could go on vacation? Remember back when you were like, man, we worked hard all week. We found babysitters for the kids and, uh, and we're just gonna go away for a week or for a weekend or even for a night. And when you go away, what's interesting, when you go on vacation, right? If you do it right, you put your computer away, you put your work away, you put your anxieties away and you get a week where you just go, ah. You just do the things you love. You eat great food, you have great drinks, you do great adventures, you sleep and you read, you do all the things that you love that fill your heart, that connect your, per- your heart um, with the person that you're with or just that for the rest for your soul. And so here's what I love to think about. What if you went on vacation spiritually? You didn't just check out, but you did the things that you love. So here's a simple challenge this week. Only do what brings you joy in your walk with Jesus, right? You're here at church because you're a spiritually hungry person. At some point in your entire life, you found some connection to God that you were like, oh, I loved it when I was close to God like that. I loved it when I did this thing and I experienced God in that way. And so what if you just spent this week with the mindset of being on vacation and only did the things that you love in your walk with God? So for me, my heart is most full when I get to be out on a walk, listening to music with my dog as the sun comes up over Mount Burdell. I'm like, oh, I'm in God's presence. The beauty of God is all around me. My heart is beating hard. I'm listening to worship music and I'm worshiping him. And I am just feel like me and God, we are tight right there. Now that's the worst for my wife. That's her number one least favorite thing to do. So that's not going to be what she wants to do today. And so for you to think about what is it that brings you close to God? So I'd love in the chat, let's just brainstorm, just write up what are the things that you love to do? that keep your heart connected to Christ. And it's not a way to achieve God's love. You already have it. It's simply a way to receive God's love. So what are some of the things that you do naturally that you did in your childhood, that you did when you most fell in love with God, where you just received God's love? Just brainstorm those things out because I'm sure your idea, your way of doing it may spark something else for somebody else to fall deeper and deeper in love with with God. Now, part of this whole experiment, this whole prayer for you and me to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God is one, so our hearts will be full, that we will be wholehearted people moving in this this pathway towards Christ. But imagine this, 
Imagine if we lived in a world and if you ran towards God and you weren't trying to impress God with your spiritual practices. Imagine all these different practices. Imagine if you were doing them in a way that wasn't trying to um, impress God, but you were simply trying to enjoy him. And we're getting ready to start Ash Wednesday. We're getting ready to start Lent. And so many people, so many times people think, here's a discipline and these are things I need to do or I need to have penitence. I need to, you know, work hard so God will be pleased with me. That is not the posture at all. We don't work hard so God is pleased with us. We work hard in our walk with Christ so that we can be close to him. I work hard so I can be close to my wife, not so she'll love me more, but so that I can be in a position to be loved by her and to express my love to her more and more. So imagine if you weren't trying to impress God or others with your spiritual practices, but you were just trying to enjoy him. So maybe this week you could just enjoy God with your spiritual practices. And whenever you start feeling a little bit of guilt or shame, or I'm trying to do this or earn this or make this happen, just die to that, die to that, die to that. Because once we begin to enjoy God, then imagine this. Imagine if you weren't in competition for God's love and his affection, but you knew in your guts you were his. Because I think a lot of the problem we end up having with one another, a lot of the problems we end up having around the church, a lot of the disagreements we all have is because we have this insecurity that we're not really loved by God. And God needs to make sure that we know that we're fighting for him, that we're standing up for him, that we're living rightly for him, and that we're not going to tolerate any of the things that hurt God's heart. But that's not God's posture. God's posture saying, I want to make sure that you know that you are loved by me. There is no competition. It's not like if you do it better, I'm going to love you more. If you just embraced God's love and God's affection and you weren't in competition for it, but you could just understand that God loved you. The height and the depth and the width and the breadth of God's love was pointed towards you so that you would know the fullness of God. Sorry, that you filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How different would your posture towards God be? How different would your posture towards the church be? How different would your posture towards the world be? God's not interested in you and I proving our love and affection to him. God's interested in us receiving God's love and affection and then generously pouring that out to a world that has no idea, to a world that has way more calloused hearts than I could ever imagine. And yet God uses his people to bring love and affection, to woo people into the presence of Christ so that they too can have their own encounter with him. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this has just been an incredible few weeks as we have just wrestled through and preached through very slowly Ephesians chapter three, verse 16 and 19. And I hope that you've instilled this prayer into your hearts. It's gonna be a prayer that's gonna be our benediction through Lent because the love of God is a very simple term. John three sixteen, a very simple verse. We all teach our kids that Jesus loves the little children, right? Or Jesus loves me, this I know. And we say it so much that we actually get inoculated to the truth that God loves us. And we need to understand that God's love is like the ocean. And so maybe if you are inoculated to the idea of God's love, then maybe this is an invitation to move out of the shallows and into the deep waters. It is the deep waters of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness where your heart is actually going to be transformed. It is in those deep waters where you are going to be empowered and compelled to be God's person in every area that God has called you. And I know God loves you is the most innocuous. I mean, it's just the most, you know, 
overused cliche on the planet. But that's why we spent six weeks diving into this passage over and over again. We're going to stay on this passage over and over again so that we will not be cynical people who just know a lot in our head about who God is, but we would know, we would experience in our very guts the love of God. Well, let me pray for us and as we wrap up our time and we look forward to being together soon. So let me pray and we'll spend a little more time in worship before we're all done. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, it's such an interesting concept to think of how much you just love us, how much affection you have towards us. And for some reason, our brokenness, we want to keep working towards it. We want to keep achieving some sort of um, favor from you. But you look down at us and say, oh, child, don't you know that I already love you, that everything I have is already yours? So God, I just pray for me that you would continue to shed away the callous parts of my heart, that you continue to grow my heart. I pray for our entire church the same, that you would take away the callousness of our hearts, the pride of our intellect, the pride of all the ways that we think we can achieve everything in our life, but to simply stop and receive your love and your affection. Gosh, I pray that we would have the strength and the power to understand along with all of God's people the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love. I pray, God, that we would know your love that surpasses knowledge. And for those of us who are bored in this season of life with you and with our faith and with love, I pray that we would take an extra step towards you, a step into the deeper waters to be blown away in an awe of your love that does surpass knowledge and we would take full advantage of your identity that you've given to us as precious daughters and sons because of the work that Christ has done, because of the fullness that you found in him and the fullness of him that's now found in our hearts. And so our identity is secure. And so may we be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God so that we can be used by you for you and joyfully give you all of the glory both now and forevermore and all of God's kids said amen and amen let's continue to worship <laughs>